This week on the Recruitment Flex, stop leaving voicemails. Roblox joins Google in laying off recruiters and is being an influencer a real job? TRF with my dad and Shelly starts after this message from Ben. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelly, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. Van Hack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, are you in better health this week? I am. I am. I'm back up to normal, back to 100%. Thank you for asking. I woke up this morning and I'm like, oh, I remember this feeling. Like when you wake up and you feel great. You don't feel like hacking up a lung or something. Well, and the thing is, Shelly, I've known you for a long time and we've been doing this podcast going on four years and you are rarely sick. Obviously, you have an advantage. You don't have young kids in your household. True, true. But you have a great immune system. So I do. This must have hit you hard. This is the first time in four years that I had been sick. Yeah. Compared to my 222 times. uh, (laughs) But listen, I paid my dues because when my kids were little, it was was nonstop because the boys were still a little bit older. And so once they got to the age where they weren't bringing home germs or their immune systems were more mature, then Brooklyn was coming in right behind them, bringing home every sniffle and cough and fever and childhood disease. And oh, man. You posted something on LinkedIn, and I have not stopped thinking about it. It was a great article that said, phoning people is dead. Stop calling. And I read it, and at first I'm like, what am I going to do if I can't phone you? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it's my like straddling the Gen X and Boomer, because I'm not a Boomer. I'm definitely in the camp of an older 
geriatric Gen X, <laughs> call it that. <laughs> but I realized that we really need to get our head around the fact that just picking up the phone and calling somebody, especially in a business setting, is people are annoyed. And I'm like, why are they so annoyed? Mm. Why are people so annoyed to get a phone call? And we need to get our head around the fact that we're not glued to our desk, nor do we have a phone on our desk, right? We don't. We have a phone with us all the time. Yes. And it is a big shift. There was some really good phone etiquette in the article that I thought really hit the spot because I'll admit, I don't like listening to voicemails. I rarely do. Just the thought of logging into my voicemail and listening to voicemails because it's similar to emails for me. It's basically a public to-do list. No one is calling you to good news. It's for you to do something and do an action, right? And I already have a long list of actions that I need to do on my day-to-day basis. So to add for it, it's exactly the same reason I hate emails. There's such a formality to emails that drives me crazy that send me a text, send me a DM. I can answer you in one phrase. We don't need to go through the formalities of, I hope your day is going well, or I hope this email finds you. It just annoys me. It's just a complete waste of time. And to your point, just receiving a phone call, like in my world, there's maybe four people that I answer when they call me automatically, right? No matter what situation. And you are on that list, Shelly, mm-hmm. like you're on the lower end of that list, but you're on that list. Um, well, thank you. Who knew? <laughs> For the majority, right, there is different situations. I'm not always at my desk. And if I am at my desk, I am probably in a meeting or in deep work that I don't want to be disturbed, or I'm dropping off my kids, picking up my kids. So depending on the time, day, schedules are so variable right now that just picking up the phone and calling them and expecting a long conversation is tough. So do text before calling and be specific what you want to talk about, because it might be easier just to answer what you need in a text. There's the other one that I thought was interesting and funny to me, because it's one of my biggest pet peeve. Stop using the speakerphone in public. And it's crazy how much I see this. Like you see this at the airport all the time. And I'm like, dude, just put the phone to your ear and you'll hear better or put headphones. I don't want to hear about the results of your colonoscopy last week or the issue that you're having at work. It drives me insane. So that is one of my biggest pet peeves. Yeah, it is super annoying. And there tends to be a little bit of a stereotype of who does that. But it's so consistent. It is women over a certain age. Okay. (laughs) I notice it all the time. And I'm Mm. like, oh, you know what? You really need to get headphones. But it doesn't occur to them to use headphones. Or just put the phone to your ear like it's a phone, right? You could hear better. They could hear you better. Because the other part of it, it's very annoying being on the other end and being in a speakerphone in a public setting. All you're picking up is the background noise. It's just annoying. So yes, I'm not a fan of the phone per se, not saying that you can't call me, but I do prefer a heads up. And obviously if it's emergencies, like my wife calls, I pick up automatically or my mom or things like that. But I got to focus on what I need to focus, right? In the world of distraction, it's tough. But talking about distraction, I have one distraction and one of my distractions is sports. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about 
Joel Cheeseman asking you at Wreckfest, what's your favorite sport? And your answer was, I don't like sports. He didn't believe you as an American. He, he didn't believe you. And as you. a man. And as a man. It was like, what? So what was your thoughts on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? Because obviously it's big news in the NFL and it might have some fantasy football implications for my team because I have Travis on most of my teams. So I do not want him to get distracted, but man, I love it because I love Taylor Swift. It's all over social media. Like I can't I open TikTok without Same. the Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift video. Yeah, it's just swept up everyone in its path. I loved the comment that I read this morning that was, he's got to be pretty solid in, in his masculinity because he's dating someone who could sell out the stadium that she's watching him play football in. Yeah. Like she could single-handedly sell out that stadium 10 days in a row. I don't know too many men who want to get involved with that level of fame, but also her fans are bananas, man. Like her fans are rabid. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting fan base and they have been very rabid to pass boyfriends, right? But I think if anyone can handle this fame, because he's in his own right, very famous. Like you might not know who he is, but most men know who Travis Kelsey is because he's such a dominant a football player. And boyfriends in the past, from what I can read, are all these like British guys that are a little bit yeah. insecure. There's a certain type, right? And Actors, he's yeah. like a big football player. But you know what? It was so cool seeing the video of them drive out after like in a car with no security. So I, I like it. I think it's pretty cool. I have to question how much of it's staged. Like everything they do, it's going to mean money for the team. The team saw a, what, like a 4,000% increase in Jersey sales yes. just because Taylor Swift watched one of their games. It's the ultimate in influencer marketing. <laughs> yeah. Well, all he's attracting a crowd that would never watch NFL. Correct. And so, this is the only celebrity gossip that I follow. I haven't watched TMZ in a long time, but this is so fascinating to me. I just hope that she doesn't break up with him and breaks his heart and he starts being really bad at football because that would be really bad for him. <laughs> That's my only concern right now. But I hope they're happy. Shelly, HR yes. Tech. Man, yes. we are lined up with so wow. many interviews that I'm starting to have to say no. I know. Um, I am very excited. I think we've got everything set up. So for yeah. everyone to know, we will be at HR Tech mm -hmm. recording live from the Plum Boot. So it's Boot 2109. Come see us. We would love to meet you. And obviously, we'll be everywhere at the show as well. So I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Yes, we'll be in the booth from 11 till 3 on the Wednesday and the Thursday. And then... Other than that, we'll be cruising around on the floor. Yeah, and we yeah. might have to stay in the boot longer, Shelly, because uh, if we want to get all these interviews. Um... What's going on, Serge? We're going to have some really interesting tech founders. And wow. Yeah. We, we're making this our full-time job. <laughs> Feels like it. Smokes. Feels like it. So, Shelly, yeah. let's move on to... 
in the news. In the news. So one of the things that we talked about a month ago was about Roblox and their mm. innovative approach to recruiting new talent, leveraging their platform on a day-to-day yeah. as far as doing virtual interviews. But news came out that on September 21st, Roblox laid off approximately 30 employees within the talent acquisition department. The excuse, like every other company is, they've mm-hmm. come along and saying the move aligns with company plans to increase overall financial efficiency and support their long-term objective. As disclosed during a recent Q2 earnings call, they anticipate leveraging cost areas, including a reduction in the cost of goods sold as they slow down their hiring process. So basically, they're going to be hiring, hiring less. They're in a hiring freeze. They're in a hiring freeze. So let's lay off all of our recruiters or a big portion of our recruitment team. And then when we have to hire again, we're going to have to start from scratch. And the cycle goes over and over again, Shelly. Yeah, it does. It's so sad to see. I have such high hopes and expectations of tech firms to be able to look at their colleagues within the industry and realize that if you would simply just temporarily redeploy people, because your talent acquisition team, like 30 people to be laid off versus redeploy them to elsewhere in the organization. There's got to be other ways that they can contribute and then bring them back. But when you slice 30 people specifically from talent acquisition, it is, to quote you, Canary in the Coal Mine, their next announcement is going to be how far they've missed their earnings yes. forecast and how they are getting slaughtered in the competitive market. That's what's coming next. I agree with your point of redeploying, but I think there's still a lot of value for the majority of them to stick in talent acquisition because a downtime in our space really gives us the ability to set up the systems and process mm-hmm. that we can't when we're busy. And I know that's It's easy for me to say I'm not running the business, but I'm looking at all the cost centers. If the first one I'm shutting down is talent acquisition, I think it's just an issue of not really understanding the value of that department and what it brings to the table at all times. So how do we make sure that we're actually progressing when we go through these hiring freezes? And what happens is we don't. And then we are in the worst position. Like we scramble to hire more people, recruiters, they're coming in, there's no systems, there's no process, and the candy experience suffers and your brand suffers. So it sucks, but I think there is some accountability on our end that obviously the real value of talent acquisition, I'm sure it was delivered, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't taken into account from the executive team. They just don't take it seriously. I think it's a fail on HRs, and this is an assumption, is that talent acquisition reports into HR, and HR's first knee-jerk reaction is to cut the recruitment team, because we're not hiring right now. It's truly a failure on whoever the TA leader is as well to be able to build what is the value of keeping these people? What is the long-term plan regardless of sales or the market changing, right? It's just being smart about how many people you hire because if you think that you're never going to see a dip in sales or revenue and that it's always going nowhere but up, I think it's a reflection of poor leadership in general. 
I agree. I wanted to talk about something super cool. Now, I know Teams and Google kind of have similar products, but I caught this announcement that Google has released something called Google Duet. And it's a virtual surrogate that will attend meetings on your behalf. Are you familiar with this, Serge? I I just started playing around with it. And it's basically, it's the AI tool similar to Microsoft Teams and the Microsoft product suite. It'll help you write a job ad, as an example, in uh, Microsoft Word. This is basically the equivalent. And you've probably been in a lot of meetings. I know around 50% of the meetings right now that I'm on, there is a virtual AI tool taking the meeting notes. Yes. Um, I'm assuming you've seen that. So it's part of a suite, right? That's going Mm -hmm. to integrate with all the Google products when it comes to Google Workspace. But I was surprised because you're a Microsoft shop in your day-to-day and you're not leveraging any of the AI tools that are associated with Microsoft Team right now. No, no. And I don't know if I would. I think there will come a time where it would make sense especially if I'm supposed to be in a meeting and I'm double booked, which does tend to happen. I always prep for meetings and there are two or three key things that I either want to know from the meeting or that I want to contribute to the meeting. If there was a way to have this virtual surrogate attend for me, record the meeting notes, but also have me contribute because I am prepared. Like I, I don't ever walk into meetings just winging it. But do you know what this does? Basically, it just recaps after the call. It delivers the key action areas that, okay, Shelly said she was going to do this. Serge is going to do this. But in general, the question I'm asking, like to write documents in Microsoft Word, do you leverage the AI tool that's embedded into it right now? I find that it is not helpful. It'll pop up and say, oh, can I make suggestions? No, I've not leveraged it, not in Teams. Mm. But I'm finding myself using ChatGPT less and less. Interestingly enough, I'm finding that it is actually creating more work for me in that I'm asking it to either analyze something or summarize something, and it's not picking up what I would pick up. I don't know about you, but I am finding myself moving away from using these supposed AI-powered tools because they're really giving such generic, middle-of-the-road, statistically correct, maybe, responses. But it's just not the same. It's becoming more and more robotic. I'm using it more than I ever did. And where and why I'm using it more is I've really started to understand how the prompts make a major difference, right? I'd rather spend 15 minutes just writing a whole bunch of instructions instead of writing it from scratch because it gives me the key thing, which is creates a structure. I'll deliver maybe 20% of the content in my prompt that I want that they can keep rolling with it. But I agree with you, if you're just going in and can you do this for me, it is a little bit too robotic. And this is where the advent of the prompt engineer, knowing exactly what type of prompts and information that you need to put in to get the output that you need is going to be absolutely critical. I guess I'm finding it frustrating in that it's really becoming more like Google. You've got to know what to ask. 
because you get back the quality of what you're asking. And I think I'm pretty good at asking questions since we do that for a living. I don't know. I find the response just so very generic. So I'm going to say it's a user, not the product, but let's move to the tip of the week, Shelly. You know, I got thinking about what we were just talking about when there are layoffs and recruitment tends to be laid off. And it got me thinking, what would it take for you to go back? Would you go back? Because there was a lot of talk in the media this week around Meta had laid off, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people, and now they're going to that alumni pool and now wanting to hire them back. And it got me thinking as recruiters, if you had been laid off from your last job, say you found something else, would you go back? What would it take? And so here's some things to think about. If your employer comes back and says, hey, we're hiring again and your position is open, I would ask you to think long and hard about why you left in the first place. Also about how you left. If you were caught by surprise or if the reason you left was the volatility of the industry, going back, nothing's changed, right? If we learn nothing from the biggest moments in anybody's life, getting laid off and getting hired are two major life events. And ask yourself, what would have to happen for you to go back? What has to have changed? And if that is something that will never change, as in it's the nature of the industry, then you go back knowingly. It's kind of like going back to an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend in a way, right? Well, Shelly, I think it's a good tip of the week. I think it's one of the things that we're a little bit privileged in some ways because Sometimes there's these factors. It's the worst employer in the world, but uh, we've got kids to feed or rent is due. And sometimes you'll do what you need to do to get that, especially in the difficult job market. But let's put that all aside. I still think you need to be asking those questions, right? Similar to your point about going back to an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend, it's, okay, we often forget the bad times. We remember only the good times. Generally, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the opposite, right? You only remember the bad times and you can't think of anything good. If that's the case, you should not consider. But really great recruiters focus on mastery. They focus everything around being not only great, but being masters. And if you ever become a master in anything that you do, you are irreplaceable. Not saying your company still won't lay you off, but there'll be a lineup of people trying to hire you if you ever came on the market. So I discourage, not early in your career, but later in your career, don't change. Don't go into a different area. If you are a recruiter, your job is to be a master at being a recruiter in this space. So I would say take your lumps and go find a job in that space because you want to continue the journey of mastery, in my opinion. Great advice. Thanks, Serge. Let's jump into the recruiting insight. So I gave you a little bit of thought leadership right there. So I guess you can call me an influencer. (laughs) Well done. You sent a really good article on influencer as a real job. And I still Mm. think there is a misconception or maybe not a misconception, but I still think a lot of people don't think influencers are real, valid. They scoff at it. They think it's a joke. 
there is a very strong content creator economy. And if you go on YouTube right now, and I'll give you the example, my oldest daughter watches a show of this lady that takes squishies. If you have kids, you know what squishies are and paints them and does an incredible job of making them really stand out and different. It's an art, right? My daughter, every Friday, will watch that show on YouTube, and I can't stand it. Like, she is so annoying, Shelly, the person <laughs> painting. It's just so annoying, but my daughter loves it. And I start researching it, and the video she's watching had 12 million views. And if Come you put on. that in context, revenue on YouTube, a million views is $79,000 paid to the creator. So multiply that by 12 on one video. Mr. Beast is a billionaire and all based on content that he has created on YouTube. There is influencers in every industry, people that really research, give really good advice. I would say influencers in the recruitment industry to the job seeker, Joel Algy, massive amount of followers, massive amount of people that interact with him. We've got podcasters like Chad and Cheese. Those are influencers and Chad and Cheese don't have a day job. This is what they do, right? And they are both making a pretty good lifestyle from what I can see by being full-time podcasters, which is content creation. And the overall economy itself is worth $21.1 billion in the influencer industry. So it's definitely a very legit type of business. But putting that all together, there is people that I follow that I respect tremendously and really listen to their advice. And if they told me, hey, this is a really cool tool I've been using, I am going to check that tool out just because he is very like-minded. I like what he's saying. So obviously, if it works for him, it's worth at least evaluating. And I think we see it in our podcast. People that come on our podcast will get calls because they've heard them on the podcast. So. Mm -hmm. It is legit. Let's stop scoffing at it. It is a real economy. It's really the next phase of marketing. Sorry, long rant, but I do love this article. I do think there's such a strong case that influencer marketing is here to stay and it's a real job. It certainly has great potential. I think it looks easy from the outside, but those that really make the big money in being an influencer, you have to have creativity and you've got to be dedicated. If you think that you're just going to strike it rich, that is, you'll have one video that gets 12 million views and you're set for life. That's no different than any other job in any other industry. We always hear these urban legends of people that are making billions of dollars. But the fact is that most people who have made a career out of, uh, being an influencer, whatever the industry is, whether it's for curly hair or for skincare products or whatever, the fact is they've usually been at it for years. Yes. This is not the overnight success. They make it look easy, but it's because they have done it now about 10,000 times and they have dedicated themselves to it. And in any type of career, whether it's an influencer or recruiter, you've got to pay your dues. And that yeah. is a lot of hard work. What I liked about this article as well is I think it underpinned why consumers would trust an influencer more than a paid spokeshead. 
because there is an innate distrust of what is real and what is true. And when you've got someone who is truly just like you and I, only that person has naturally curly hair, if they're going to get on and talk about the products they've tried for naturally curly hair, who are you going to trust? Traditional marketing has been absolutely foist on its hat. I think those that say it's not a real job are those who are feeling threatened by the fact that we can't just buy your eyeballs and we're just going to keep throwing ads at you until you click on it. It has changed the way companies market. It has. And the relation to recruitment here is, I'm not saying people need to be influencers. Uh, There is different levels of influencers out there. Even if you have a small audience, but a very engaged small audience is way more important than a not engaged larger audience. There are so many recruiters out there putting really helpful content for job seekers, but also for companies as well, for recruiters. And it takes a long time to get that following and that trust. Mm-hmm. But this is where volume supplants everything. I think we underestimate the power of doing it over and over again, creating mm-hmm. content. And after you've created 10 pieces of content compared to a thousand, your thousand pieces are going to be way better. Shelly, let's move to the next. So it feels insight. like today, like we were just talking about Google Duet and the Google suite of products. So today's episode is just a love fest for Google. And here's why, Serge, their chief diversity officer, we poke fun a little bit at, is it just a figurehead? What are companies actually doing to put their money where their mouth is when they're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and hiring practices? And I just wanted to share the great work that Google is doing. In fact, Google is now moving towards skill-based hiring. So what does that mean? That means you don't have to have a PhD from Harvard to get a job at Google. Does that not just fly in the face of everything that they have done as an organization? Because if you look at a lot of their hires over the years, They targeted these Ivy League schools. They'd be first on campus for Harvard or Oxford. And now, as proof that they are going to be looking at not just university educated, but also their hiring process has been re-examined to hire people for skills, which is a huge undertaking. It's no small feat to be able to, first of all, influence within a company that size. And it's a whole nother thing to have your recruitment team now looking at candidates and job seekers for the skills that they bring and not being so fixated on where they went to school. And they've taken it a step further, Serge, because what Google has done is they have invested in using their talent pipeline in building relationships in non-traditional ways. That is going right to the high school level or investing in providing micro learning and training to diverse groups, because that's what they're going to be hiring. So it's one thing to say, we're looking for skills. It's another thing to say, where are we going to get these skills? Google's doing both things. Not only are they developing skills-based micro-learning, but they're hiring based on skills. So everyone should take a page. And certainly if you're in DE&I or talent acquisition, you need to read this article about what Google is doing. 
Yeah, Shelly, I think Google is the bellwetter as far as having the ability to do this. They have all basically yeah. internally a lot of the certifications that you do need with their Google career certificates. But here is where I hesitate following the Google model, right? Because everything they're doing is great, but it's not realistic for 99.9 .9 of the organizations tackling everything they're doing. And Google is pretty smart and focusing really early, but I see it as a negative in a way as far as how early they're targeting people to try to develop the skill sets they have. I see it as like sports agents trying to recruit 11 and 12 year olds early and getting them indoctrinated into their university or pro teams in certain sports. I think it's a little bit too early, but I see why Google does it because there's also a brand affinity talking about we might hire yeah. them in the future, but also the more they hear about Google, the more they're going to have an affinity mm -hmm. to our brand. So there's an advantage there. So yes, everyone should read it, but you can't do everything that Google is doing. I just don't think most organizations have that capacity or resources, but focus on one or two things yeah, that you can think exactly. your organization can make a major difference. Agreed. So Shelly, Agreed. I, I want to jump into the next recruitment insight. So recent poll done by Glassdoor between August 9th and August 14th, there was 6,673 professionals on Fishbowl. I forget about that Fishbowl is on my Glassdoor. And there was questions on negotiating your salary. It was basically a yes or no question for your most recent job. Did you negotiate your salary? And more than half, 54% of professionals did not negotiate their most recent salary. Where it's most common is in advertising, 67%, marketing, 62%, and tech, 56%. On the other hand, only 22% of graduate students and 37% of accounting and law professionals. Age does play a significant role in salary negotiations with 56% of professionals between 36 and 40 negotiating their salary. Younger professionals aged between 21 and 25, 27%, and 26 to 29, 44%. Here is a point where I thought it was interesting is gender. We've always had the assumption that men negotiate more than women, probably true in the past, but here is basically identical with 46% of men and women negotiating their most recent salary. I think it's heavily skewed to people that are younger overall. And if you're new to a job market, you just take the job because you are so nervous of countering and the offer just disappears. So I think that is a major factor of why. But what was your take here, Shelley? It made complete sense for all the reasons that you just listed. Early career is, I'll just take it because yeah. it, it's really the experience, right? And not understanding that you can and will eventually get multiple offers. I was really surprised that gender did not significantly affect salary negotiations because we always believe that women won't negotiate. So I, I wonder this because of the time frame in which this was conducted, this is 6,000. It's a good sample size. 
But it's also since we've had salary transparency. There are salary transparency laws. And with salary transparency, both men and women, why would you negotiate if you've applied for a job, there's a published rate, they made you an offer according to the published rate. So that makes sense to me why people aren't negotiating because Glassdoor does tend to have a lot more American participation. So I would imagine this is purely just the US market. And that makes sense when you've got, I don't know if they're at half yet or very close, but certainly the states with the largest populations have passed laws around salary transparency. So not really that surprising that people are not having to negotiate like we did in the past. That's a really good point. A company's big asset and a big advantage of putting pay transparency, it reduces the ability to negotiate. And I equate it to car dealerships that don't negotiate. Like a Tesla, perfect example, is this is what you're paying for the car as we're so conditioned to go in and try to negotiate every aspect. The pay is listed and it's reasonable. You know what you're going into. Your expectations are not going to try to get more than what's listed. I think it's just human behavior. Like you're not going to go to Tesla and start negotiating. So good point. Never thought about that way. One more reason for companies to adopt this. Paid transparency, in my opinion, is the way to close this gap the quickest way possible. Mm -hmm. And there's so many benefits outside of gender of knowing what you're going to get paid before applying for a job for the employer and the employee. Let's stop wasting each other's time, please. Yes, I agree. I agree. On that note, Shelly... Another week in the books. Another week. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone for listening. And we will be back next week. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters. So you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com. Mention the Recruitment Flex and get 10% off annual plans. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.